0: This is the Stuck Mike Abcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly.
1: Episode 77, regain Your Currency and the Surprise Guest, coming up on this episode of the Stuck Mike
0: Abcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri.
2: Hello and welcome to this episode, episode number seventy-seven of the Stuck Mike Avcast, reporting from the other side of the planet on the island of Bali in Indonesia. I'm Len Costa. Joining me on the show today, first we have the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Carl Valeri. Welcome. How are you today, Carl?
1: Len, it's awesome to have you back. I feel like the Who here, and we've gotten the band back together. This is so cool to be talking <laughs> to you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks
2: for having me on today. It's exciting. Uh, who else do we have? Uh, uh, Victoria Zykos joining us as well. How are you today, Victoria? It's good to hear your voice again.
3: Um, why didn't I get an intro like Carl? No, I, I'm a well, little hurt. You
2: know, <laughs> to be honest, I think Turbo is the man, the myth, the legend in that house is, this, these days. That is
3: true. He kind of overtakes <laughs> so, us. He trumps it all. He does.
2: <laughs> Glad to have you as well, Mr. Sean Moody. How are you doing today, sir?
4: Doing great, doing great. Just enjoying a nice, uh, not too hot summer day here in Kentucky. Uh, it's, it was down about 51 today, so we all took advantage.
2: Excellent. And uh, the first time I'm spending an episode with Mr. Eric Crump. Glad to meet you and welcome to the show today.
5: Hey, Lynn. Thanks. Hanging out here in Central Florida trying to uh, find a respirator so I can go outside and face the humidity. <laughs>
2: I know what that's like. And Mr. Rick Felty expects to be joining us here in a few minutes. So uh, before we do get started with all the fun today, we do have a few out, uh, announcements. And Carl,
1: take
0: it away, sir. Let's do the pre-flight. Uh, just a
1: couple of announcements. First of all, uh, thanks to our sponsors. This episode sponsored by aviationuniverse.us, and uh, thanks to Len, because that's Len's good friends up there in Chicago. They have a wonderful website, and they're wonderful people, so if you get a chance, go out to aviationuniverse.us. As far as the other announcements, well, you know, there's this thing called Oshkosh going on, and instead of Oshkosh, I decided to come here and talk to Len. I thought that would be just as exciting, And, and it is for me, you know, because, well, well, actually, you know, I wish I was at Oshkosh right now, but Len... You know this. This is so cool having you back on the show for an episode and and talking about things in overseas. All those people at Oshkosh, uh, we really are missing you. Uh, and I really, I think this year is going to be a cool year for Oshkosh. It's going to be awesome. I've seen some of the pictures. I don't know if anybody else has seen what's going on over there, but it's it's really cool. As a matter of fact, they call it Air Venture nowadays uh, instead of Oshkosh. How many here? Uh, I think Victoria's been there. How many here have actually been to Oshkosh? Victoria has, right?
3: Yeah, at least a dozen times. A
1: dozen times.
3: great. Wow. I will for sure be there next year, so I will find everyone and
1: talk with you all. Just to let you know, Victoria, I've had a couple people contact me looking for you. I've uh, been hiding. And I said, she's not going to be there. They're like, oh, you're kidding. I've wanted to meet the myth, the legend, Victoria. And I said, well... She's that sassy little redhead. You won't miss her in a crowd, believe me. And uh, <laughs> they said they really want to see. As a matter of fact, a couple of your clients too, and uh, some good friends of mine are there. They flew in their Cirrus, and you probably know who I'm talking about. Yes, I um, do. <laughs> and they, they wanted to say hi, as along along with all the other folks that, that missed you over there at Air Venture. I actually thought I was going to make Air Venture this year. I had it in my calendar, uh, but life got in the way. Uh, how about you, Sean and uh, Eric? Have you either one of you gone to Oshkosh?
4: I've been uh, three times, I think, um, working each time. I'd love to go just on my own time and just have have the time to wander the grounds. It would be uh, amazing for sure to see all that stuff. You know, I've never gotten to go to Oshkosh. I mean, it's, I've,
5: now that I live next door to Sun and Fun, I don't have an excuse not to go to Sun and Fun, but um, it, it was weird because in my former life um, uh, with Klein Publications, all in the summer is the busiest time of the year because... All of your new editions of everything you print comes out in the summer. So escaping to Oshkosh wasn't an option. And now I run a college program. Well, I'm this is you know the busiest two weeks of my life getting ready for the fall term. So I, I guess I'm eternally cursed not to go to Oshkosh. Well, I lame I, and it is lame, I agree.
1: <laughs> I, I tell you, I, I will write a note for you, Eric, so that you can go. As a matter of fact, <laughs> we, a hall pass. we've talked about switching jobs here. Maybe I could get that week off and I'll give you my vacation and I'll go work for you.
5: I think that is a great idea. That's an absolute. Actually, if you could come over right now, that just right now. Let's just go ahead and make the switch. No, dude.
1: You actually work for a living. <laughs> <No one. laughs> I have done nothing
5: but talk on the phone all day long today. Oh, so if you want to come do this job, I feel like a telemarketer.
1: <laughs> well, Len, Len's been there a bunch of times, right, Len? And you, you just it was in your backyard there.
2: Uh, well, not quite in the backyard as it, as it was when I was uh, residing in Chicago for a little while. But I've actually only been there, I think, probably a total of three or four days in my lifetime. I went once during college with a friend of mine. And then um, a few years ago, uh, I went for, I was I think it was for a weekend. So I haven't had a lot of time to spend there myself. But it's always a fun time to, to be at these uh, big
1: events. Well I'm I'm hopefully going to make it next year. Of course I'm right near sun and fun and that is my favorite event uh, but this is the you know not at Air Venture 2014 episode and we really you know would love to be there uh, we can't be there but in spirit we are. Now entering cruise flight. But today we have some really cool topics, and, and this is going to be an exciting episode for me because uh, one of the things I talked about is is getting current, finally, uh, single engine. Of course, I'm current in multi-engine, uh, but Victoria is going to talk a little bit about getting current single engine after a long hiatus. So hopefully I, I'm going to learn a little something, too, about uh, in Victoria's discussion, and then to add to that some really cool stuff that Len mentioned before the show about about keeping current in other countries, you know. We really have to be thankful for what we have here in, in the United States as far as keeping current and flying. It's a lot cheaper, and Len's going to talk a little bit about that later. But uh, on to our first topic. That was the only thing that we wanted to announce Air Venture, and, and just happy for the folks that are, that are there right now and, uh, and really uh, you know, appreciate the videos. Keep sending them to us. Uh, of course, you, know, you can go to stuckmygavcast.com and, and hit contacts and send us your pictures. Tell us you know, what's going on and what was the most exciting thing you did. So Victoria, talking about uh, airplanes and and keeping current. The, the cool thing is, uh, you've been talking about flying and getting back into flying, and now, now you're talking more about uh, becoming current. And you're going to tell us a little bit about your experiences and some some good advice. So Victoria, take it away.
3: Thank you, Carl. Um, I was thinking about it the other day. I fly actually a lot. And you'll see me blog about all these different planes I've flown in and places I've gone. You know, I recently talked about the toilet paper roll fun and things like that, maybe our Bahamas trip. So I am very active in the pilot community and in the air. But then I started to realize, well, when's the last time I landed a plane How often have I been landing planes? When did I last do pattern work? When did I practice stalls? You know, when did I last get back to the basics and didn't fly from point A to B? And the more I thought about that, I realized when I fly with Bob, I'm sharing half the time and sharing half the landings. When I did toilet paper flying, I just did straight and level. Um, I don't know how to land a tailwheel yet, or if I tried, it probably wouldn't be pretty. So um, all these times I was up in the air, I wasn't actually doing much, and it was harming me. Even though I had these great experiences, I was learning to rely on other people versus myself, and um, my skills were just getting pretty dusty. So recently, I just took it easy. I decided I'm going to go out, and I'm going to get current, and I'm going to just go back to the basics and slowly work my way up. Uh, Has anyone else... Kind of had that experience where you feel like you're leaning on other people or you're in airplanes all the time, but it dawns on you, you haven't actually taken the controls?
1: oh yeah carl,
5: work all the time pretty much every day you <laughs> 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 beat me to it i was gonna try to sting carl you gotta be slower on the uptake carl so i can make fun of you
1: <laughs> well it's true though i mean sometimes you're just sitting there honestly I, i've gone a couple weeks without even touching the controls i've been swinging gear all day uh you know sometimes my schedule's been that i'm like oh gosh you know i haven't been able to fly for a while and uh you know because i'm on reserve sometimes and yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, now I actually have to land. How do I do this again? Oh, that's right. I got to pull back at the last minute. Uh but yes, I mean that that's uh and honestly, that's the same thing with with small planes. I've been up in small planes like you have. Uh but I haven't done a lot of flying myself. So, uh yeah, that's that's been kind of an issue. But I'm kind of interested to hear what what uh what you have to say is, so I I can I can figure out what I need to do.
5: <laughs> I guess I kind of have the same issue though. I um it's weird because I have little airplanes everywhere and people, you know, flying them everywhere. And I realized the other day, actually, I was doing some recurrent training myself for, um, for an FA ride. And I realized what was the last time I went out and did ground reference maneuvers. And I actually decided I was going to look it up. So I started looking back through my logbook. I'm embarrassed to say it, w- it was about 14 months ago. <laughs> so, wow! I mean, you know, because when I, when I do fly, it's usually on a, some kind of evaluation. I'm either being evaluated or I'm doing an evaluation so i you know to get an airplane and go out and practice maneuvers just for my own personal currency um, it's not that I don't want to do it I think I just forget I get carried up with something else and I just forget to go do it but it's it's something we need as I start getting back in and start doing more flying I realize there's dust here and I need to shake this off um, and so I think it's a very valid topic I'm glad you brought it up Victoria.
3: Thanks. Um, When I got started up again, I realized that there were a lot of the little things I haven't done in a long time. So I knew there was going to be a lot to be missed. So I did my pre-flight and when I finally picked up that checklist, I realized there was a lot I had missed because I was just trying to go on my memory and in a rush to just get in the air and get this done and get what I thought were going to be horrible landings over with. So I'd suggest... um, Since if it's been a while, to not stress yourself out, take things step by step. Pretend you're a student again if you have to. Yeah, it can be embarrassing. You're this awesome pilot and been flying forever, but you feel like a student again. But it's okay. You know, we all hit that point. So um, I took out the checklist and I made sure I followed everything before taxiing, running up, and taking off. And then when I did my pattern work, I did full stops and taxis backs. That way... I wasn't rushed to pull up the flaps, put the carb heat back in, and accelerate again. I would be able to land, take a second to rest, and then go over with what I could do better. And I found that just being very methodical and taking it easy on myself and not being too hard on myself really helped me get back into being in control of the plane.
1: So you, you did full-stop taxi backs, just to interrupt real quick. They, yeah. that's a. I think that's a great idea, because I'm, I'm kind of going through this in my mind, how I'm going to get single-ending current again. I'm going to tell my instructor, listen, no touching goes for me, man. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm pulling off the side of the runway, and that's that's a great idea, so you can slow things down.
3: When I thought of it at first, I was like, oh, I could get twice as many in. I could be flying a lot more. I'm not going to be sitting taxiing in this really hot 80-degree weather, but... I didn't know how much I'd be able to uh, relearn because I would be so rushed. It would just be go, 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 and it would end up stressing me out even more because it was stressful for the fact that I had this dust and I was frustrated with myself for being so rusty. So with that going on in the back of your head, it's kind of nice to stop, relax, think it over and go up again.
1: Hmm. Some great advice. The, uh, and that's um, basically what you're saying is just slow down, period. And that's one way to do it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's cool. Yep. Cool.
5: And so, Carl, when you mention your instructor, is that still supposed to be me? I'm just curious. You know, I, I'm not so sure anymore, Eric. It
1: Because like my, my
5: phone stopped ringing, and I, I thought maybe you got cold feet. I didn't want to push you into anything.
1: What I was thinking of doing <laughs> is that I'm going to go to another airport and, and get all my <laughs> bad landings done and my porpoising and everything. And then I'll come back to you, Eric, and, and say, hey, look, Eric, I can actually do this after I've done like 30 landings with somebody else and embarrass the heck out of myself.
5: Carl, uh, we're only going to record your landings from five to perspective exactly I mean, that's you know what and really <laughs> you know it's it's the sixth or seventh one that would really show you know the real details you don't have anything to worry about at all
3: that's a problem too is putting all that pressure on yourself mm-hmm. kind of like your first solo you know someone is watching what you are doing and i know so many people out at frederick airport i was thinking oh my gosh my boss he's you know his hangar is right next to our um, corporate airplane hangar, so you know, is he going to be watching? Is he going to be seeing what I'm doing? Is he going to be showing up when I make my last landing? Like, do I sound okay on the radio? Is my friend listening? And that's all this unnecessary stuff that we put in our heads and that could stress us out and make the landings not as great. Because, you know, we we watch people landing, too, and judge from time to time. But you don't know what that person's going through in the aircraft. So I try not to judge landings. So I hope no one else is judging mine.
1: And the worst thing is to have an instructor tell you, boy, you're an airline pilot and your landings suck that bad. I was like, oh, my gosh, dude. I couldn't believe this guy said this to me. <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> I said, oh, my God. You know, can I say that online? But, you know, it, it's like, really? And he's like, yeah, man. I thought you'd, you'd do a lot better. I said, dude, I haven't looked at a single engine in like eight years. You well, know? you should ask that guy to go fly, you know, yeah, a, know. a river approach
5: into Reagan. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then let's see how well he does. <laughs> you know, I had that same experience. I flew. I was an instructor in Atlanta. And so we, I did tons of Delta pilots who would come in and just wanted to stay single engine current. And yeah, that first landing, you know, we're flaring at 50 feet. I'm like, yeah, we should really not do that or we're going to die. Um, but it's it's about experience. It's about what you fly. I um, My first flight getting back in a 172 after flying big airplanes for a long time, I I, I missed my first two approaches. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. Like I just, it's like this isn't going to work. I have to go around. I was way too high. I was way too fast because I was used to carrying that speed. And in a 172, you don't need all that speed and altitude. So, you know, I think, that um, I've heard a lot of instructors, you know, who gripe about flying with airline pilots. I'm like, well, why don't you go try to do their job? <laughs> you know, it's, it's about your experience. Yeah, you can do this all day long from the right seat of a 172 because that's what you do every day. And I think it's, that's one of the things we need to understand about being the, like Victoria said, the pilot community. It is a community and I don't do what you do. You don't do what I do. So, you know, let's sort of share some wealth there
1: right yeah that's a good point for instructors that are listening you know don't don't berate those guys i mean they or gals you know because they've been out there flying something different and it, they just haven't had the experience in doing what you're doing and you know what happens is i don't know if you've had this experience uh eric is you know we a lot of times we're out there and we're flying really well in the air but when it comes to flare the airplane you're like oh my god you mean i have to pull the power back are you nuts? <laughs> and uh, you're looking at the instructor. You're like, "Really, dude?" And they're sitting there looking at you, like, "Yeah, you know, we're not gonna make it to the runway if you don't pull that power back." Right. And there's and, a thousand feet. And there's a thousand. There's two, two thousand, thousand feet. Yeah. Three thousand feet. And and like in the last quarter of the runway, you touch down. And, you know, it's like, "Holy smokes!" And uh, it's like time to go around.
2: <laughs>
5: but, right. And I think Victoria, you mentioned a point too that I thought was really interesting to connect with what Carl's saying. You know, when you're coming back to an airplane after a long period of rust, especially if you're brave enough, really, if you, you know, if you're brave enough to call the local flight school or call a friend, you know, who's an instructor to get in the airplane. You know, I I knew a lot of people who, like what Carl said, and of course, Carl was joking about being so ashamed to fly with somebody else. You're going to go try to like practice on your own because you don't want to embarrass yourself. And I think to some extent, you know, the instructor community, you know, kind of, uh, I guess they're used to dealing with students most of the time who are pursuing a, a rating or a certificate, they fly on a regular basis. They're working on a certain set of skills. I think instructors need to understand when, when somebody comes to you off the street who maybe hasn't flown in a long time or who hasn't been doing really proficiency-based flying in a long time, you've got to understand this is a different kind of student um, because if you come at them with this attitude of, well, you're you're really an idiot and you're terrible in an airplane, uh, you know, best case, you run them off. Worst case, you know, they say, "Well, I'm never going to fly with an instructor again," and they go up and try to do this this training on their own, and perhaps hurt themselves. So, um, you know, I, I think that's a very valid point about, you know, having the um, not over not overstressing yourself out with all the pressure of getting into an airplane again, but also making sure that on the other side of that coin that the instructors or the fellow pilots going to be riding with these people understand that they are going to bring some internal stress in there that's just part of the equation. You got to help get rid of that and not make it worse.
3: And even just bringing um, any pilot friend with you can help, too, if, if they feel comfortable and if you feel comfortable with that. It doesn't have to be a CFI. Uh, I hadn't flown a Cessna in quite a while. I was kind of getting too used to the glass air, and I wanted to make sure I could still fly the Cessna because they're two completely different birds. So I actually had Bob come along with me the first time I did pattern work, and this is my first time flying a Cessna in, I think, about seven months. And he hasn't flown one since his training because he's been flying the glass air for his past, you know, 800 hours or whatever. And so he just was there to kind of help me through, make sure there wasn't something major I missed or to keep an eye out in the sky for me if things got too busy. It was just kind of there, like my support, my backup if I needed it. And um, that was helpful to have him there. And then, you know, we got to take selfies and enjoy a flight together. But – um yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be a CFI, maybe a friend and confidant. And if they both if you both feel comfortable going up together and backing each other up, it's it's nice to have people that you can go do that with. Say, Hey, can you just come do some pattern work with me or a couple approaches so I can knock some of this rust off? Hopefully, not literally.
1: <laughs> yeah, not literally. That's a great point, Victoria. I mean, that's my buddy, he he comes up with me, he's a private pilot and he gets me current. You know, I say, "Hey, listen, it's your airplane, but let me, you know, help me out here, you know, because I haven't landed in a while." So that's that's really cool. You, you really kind of—it seems like you hit a nerve here, though, as far as as far as landings are concerned. It, you said something before, though. It sounds like you did pretty well, though, right?
3: Um, actually, I I did quite well. Uh, I was surprised. I laughed, really excited. Um, and I think it was because maybe I was more focused. I think we tend to get complacent when we're used to flying an aircraft over and over, so maybe you're not thinking so much. Kind of like when you do a cross-country trip, you're not – once you get into the groove of things and do it all the time, you don't think, oh, well, what happens if my engine fails right now? Should I land here? Should I land there? Should I land there? And doing this pattern work, I was like, okay, it's best if I have 90 knots here, 80 knots here. You know, I want to be like 55 when I'm over the numbers. Like – I was focused on hitting certain points, kind of back when, like you were a student, when the instructor would tell you, "Okay, flaps here, turn here," and I think I had this level of focus that I hadn't had in the past. So actually, my landings were probably pretty good compared to back when I was more um, fluid and getting complacent.
1: Huh. But how about the other stuff? I mean, you know, we talked a lot about landings. How about all the other things, navigating, etc.? How would you feel doing that? You must have been pretty comfortable.
3: Um, you know, the navigating is not the worst thing to me because I do a lot of cross countries. My concern is always that final part, the approach into the airport, um, getting that set up. I'm, I'm always worried I'm going to screw up what the tower tells me. Um, sometimes missing, you know, the other day, Bob and I went flying to Ocean City, and he said, oh, you're going to do a right downwind? And I was like, no, I'm going to do a left downwind. And then I was trying to think, oh, is he right? Is that supposed to be a right downwind? And it turns out I was right. (laughs) And when you have two people there thinking two different things and just simple things like where's that turn going to be could really affect the traffic pattern and other people in there. So that that was more of a concern to me than getting from point A to point B.
1: How about maneuvers?
3: I haven't done much of those yet. Um, I literally just got the past last weekend – the weekend before and the weekend before that was two days of pattern work and then this recent trip to Ocean City. So I'm still in the beginning stages of getting everything down again. I'd love to get up there and do some stalls, do some power off landings and just feel like, you know, I have control of this plane. Slow flight, I think, would be very beneficial too.
1: So so no loops and rolls right now?
3: <sighs> well... Mm-hmm. I might. I, I have some connections, but then again, I'm not 100% in control again, and that's what I want to gain back. I want to be able to be a confident PIC.
1: Well, it sounds like you're pretty confident. So so what else? What else? what else do we need to do or think about when we're getting current besides the landings?
3: Well, my only other suggestions were, you know, sometimes you just can't afford to go up and fly, mm. but there's things you can do at home to help you. I know it sounds silly and I always laughed at my father telling me this, but just chair flying helps a lot, especially for, you know, working through your approaches if you need an IPC. Going through the steps in your head and kind of gaining that muscle memory when you get in the airplane, they'll come back to you quicker because you've practiced it at home. In addition, listening to podcasts, um, listening to Stuck Mike or anyone else out there, you know, just staying involved in the aviation world so all the terminology and hints and tricks are just fresh in your mind. That way, when you get back, you don't feel like you've been secluded or on vacation far too long. You feel like, you know, oh, yeah, this, this will come back to me. I, I know what this does.
1: How about the simulators you're saying about chair flying? Do you, do you have like a sim at home?
3: Um, I don't anymore. I used to do Microsoft Flight Simulator. Uh, that was quite fun to play around with. Um, but I think I I actually prefer chair flying when I'm doing a flight sim. I know it's not real, um, and I I don't know. It just never personally for me. It, flight sims never work.
2: How about
5: those But the chair ones?
3: flying helps me. I imagine the worst case scenario, like panic driven bad things, and see what my mind how my mind would work it out
1: well, that's a good idea i know eric has those uh the red bird mm-hmm. uh i would think that would are that cool make you feel like you're in the actual airplane more so than say chair flying maybe i don't know what do you think well
5: it, it can and it can't it really you know when you look at sims of that level like not the you know level c level d full flight sims um you've got flat monitors so in terms of procedural stuff, especially when you're doing landings, you have 180 degrees of view, so you can do pattern work. I mean, you can use you know ground reference points and you can do ground reference maneuvers and all that sort of thing. But especially like that last 200 feet to the landing, you've got you know six flat monitors there. So you've got a lot of parallax error and it's that last part and the whole flare and lining up with the runway center line, it, it's not a complete replication of what you're going to see when you're in the airplane. That being the case, and one of the things we try to reinforce with students because we use the flight sims a lot in the pilot training, a lot, a lot, Um, because it's cheaper and it's air conditioned Um, in that order. But, (laughs) it's, um, you know, a simulator is a simulator. It's not a replicator, at least at this level. It doesn't replicate the airplane. For procedural training for, like Victoria said, going through the steps, running emergency flows, those kinds of things, it's perfect for that because it's way cheaper than the airplane, and you can press the pause button or reset if it doesn't go the way you want to um, and just practice that little segment that you're trying to get to over and over again. So it definitely has its usefulness. Um, But, you know, when you're looking at, you know, I want to get current again, well, I'm just going to go out to the local airport and get 10 hours in the, uh, you know, in the the advanced aviation training device and I'll be good to go. I'd caution people against that. I don't think that's, it's it's good for what it's good for, but you still need the airplane for some things.
1: Well, that makes sense. But, you know, uh, I I think too, though, if you look at, As the different simulators, obviously Mm -hmm. certain ones replicate things much better than others. Uh, But a a good point, Eric, and to add to that, you know, notice how a lot of these simulators really aren't built very well for doing stall training and doing Mm -hmm. full stalls, and they're they're trying to update some of them. So that's pretty interesting. Yep. Huh. Those are some good points, Victoria. What else? What else do you have for us for keeping current?
3: Oh, goodness. You got me, I just think it's a matter of getting out there and doing it, and if it's just even a little bit uh, one day it was just so hot, I only flew point four hours doing some pattern work. The gas only cost like twenty some dollars. It was nothing. It was just don't go out to eat that night, do some pattern work instead, and the more you do it, the more you gain trust in yourself and um confidence that you know this is something you can do and this is something you know how to do you went through all the steps before you can do it again and I have a a yoga teacher who actually always says show up for yourself if you don't think you're going to finish this yoga lesson complete it anyway push through and you're actually your body will get used to you doing this and your body will gain trust in yourself that you know how to do it so if anyone out there it does have confidence issues Uh, with your flying and doesn't, has doubts that this isn't right for you, you know, by all means, try to push through it and do what you can to keep your passion alive and, you know, share this with others. Cool.
1: Cool. And, and, you know, being, being current is, is, is all about pushing through and, and, and sharing that passion. I, I think when we, you know, when we look at ourselves and we say to ourselves gosh I'm not really that safe we look internally and we say I need to get current in whatever it is maybe it's landings maybe it's doing instrument approaches whatever it may be uh yeah you got to be honest with yourself and make sure you, I think the biggest thing is is just pushing through like you said because I know uh when I got back into flying I was like man this I really I'm not so good at landings like I used to be but you know I said hey I'm going to go out to the airport and just just hammer through it but uh mm-hmm. but you know the uh it's interesting uh, you know, by keeping current. I know uh, somebody else who's joined our conversation, Rick Felty's back on. And I know he actually, we, we just been talking about, uh, about uh, being current and all. Welcome, welcome back to the show here, Rick. And welcome. Hey, on. Yeah.
6: Sorry. Sorry. I was late. Hey, no problem. Yo, yo, <laughs> yo. yo, yo. Uh, yeah. You know, for, for me when, you know, flying, because I envy you guys who fly a lot and fly for a living in particular, because those of us who don't do that, um, you know, it's you really have to sort of work to make it something you can find time for. And my my problem would be enough time would pass between flights uh, that I would the next flight I do would always be more practice, especially you know takeoffs and landings because it will have been so long since I last did that. And when I when I was in periods where I was in a groove doing it a lot. Um, I that would not be as important or as urgent, and what would be more interesting and important to practice would was going somewhere at least for me, and and approaching a new airport and uh, and tackling something different as a, as a result of going somewhere else, and so you know I really did you know do try to stay as active as I could, um, you know if this is for some of us who's not a profession you know this is a hobby and the hobby you know the the currency matters in a different way with this hobby than it does you know like say golf right. <laughs> where you know you probably inconvenience the people behind you if you're terribly out of practice in golf but you know in in aviation it's it's a bit more important that you stay um you know that you feel safe and and that is the currency thing and then so that you know enough time goes by i would get back in a plane with a cfi um or if not, and it was just a short amount of time, but I didn't really feel comfortable. I'd do a pattern, uh, so because I was intermittent, off often, I have an awful lot of pattern practice just because I was ramping back up again, and feeling comfortable with things. So,
1: awesome. And you know, it does the cost ever get to yeah. be an issue for you? Yeah. I, yeah, I, for I sure.
6: I mean, it's an that's an impact thing for me. It, it's definitely one right now. I'm, you know, and and the other thing is, be, because you know to stay current you're going to want to fly a lot, that that the, you know, you you have to commit to a regular thing, or at least in your head say, I'm going to try to fly a certain amount. You know, doing the math on buying a plane, for instance, for me, even just, which I have not done, was always how much am I going to use this thing versus renting? You know, what's that equation? And if I'm going to fly, you know, let's just, to say, well, if I'm going to fly once a year, <laughs> there's no point in having a plane, um, because it's cheaper to rent. If I'm going to fly enough, there's a threshold at which point it's, it's worth, you know, it's worth owning. And the same thing's true. I think of, um, you know, of flying that you should, you should be able to commit a certain amount of, of, uh, your recreational, uh, money, uh, that you have available to doing that and otherwise wait till you've pulled enough up and it seems to me and then fly a bunch. But, um, that is a challenge. That and and the other thing that I'm bumping into now too, and it's all it's all good, it's all fine. You know, these are not huge life problems, but is um, you know, family stuff, time away and uh, and, and getting the family involved is one solution to that when that's possible. Um and then and then you're right, money's uh, renting and, and having the money available for that is a is an issue that I think a lot of people confront. Well,
1: time and money—it's—it's it's with everybody. And I know Victoria, we were talking a little bit about that offline, as far as money and you know, there's insurance, there's there's gas, and and all that involved. But you know, one of the things that I found is being when I was a partner in the actual, you know, in the airplane, I was I was flying a lot more. Uh, what's what's really interesting is that I was incredibly current when I did that. I was like, wow, you know, having a partnership, it makes me go fly more. So I miss that. I'm not quite as current. But, you know, uh, it's interesting. We, we talk about costs, Rick. And, and Victoria, but you know what, Rick, we have, we have a little surprise for you. We have, we have somebody actually on here, and you get, didn't get to listen to him before. But we have someone who's, who's in, in, in a location where it's extremely costly. As a matter of fact, he did the intro. Uh, And you know who's with us? It's uh, Len Costa. Len's, Len. Len Costa. Oh yeah. <laughs> Say hi, Len. Hey, hey, hey. Yes, dude. I I,
2: I, snu- I snuck on the show today to talk about uh, what it's like to not ever see or touch an airplane again.
6: <laughs> well,
0: it's a that big is-
2: transition.
0: <laughs>
6: I bet. Where that? Where are you? You've already told everyone else. Where are you?
2: Yes, I'm uh I'm I'm sitting here at the kitchen table in Bali, Indonesia, uh, oh, 12 nice. hours into the future. I'm I'm ahead nice. of you here, so it's the next morning.
6: Yeah. Nice. That's, and and I guess uh, from what Carl said, slightly more expensive to fly there.
2: Uh a little uh <laughs> yeah, just just a little bit. Uh you know, to to give some perspective, one of the things that I was you know curious about after making a choice to leave my airline career how would i stay current or the other question should i even bother to stay current now why would i ask that second question and it was because i came to realize that there's a lot of places in the world outside of the united states uh, and i think i think as pilots you know most of us in america are aware that the costs outside of north america are a lot different so in looking at that and that researching that, you know, and how am I going to stay current or should I even bother? I did realize that uh, you come into a lot of factors. One of them is price, which which nobody wants to pay a lot more for the same product at the end of the day. So, excuse me, you don't want to you don't want to pay ten times to to do pattern work, uh, what you normally would do. Another problem is. You might be able to find a CFI, you may be able to rent an airplane, and you might be able to go around and do some local flying, but there's a lot of other things that regulatory in nature that may permit you after that from actually occupying the aircraft as pilot-in-command. Uh, you know, There's a lot of countries, in fact, most of the ones that I've seen so far are very prohibitive as an FAA pilot not being able to rent a foreign-registered aircraft. So, you know, I started to run into all these things and it looked like to me that the actual only way I could maintain currency would be by keeping my medical uh, renewed and doing my CFI renewal every two years. Uh, so at the moment, I haven't, uh, I haven't actually flown. We're, we're in July here recording this episode. I haven't flown an airplane since November. And uh, so, so going from flying an airplane every day as a career to, to almost quitting cold turkey has been a huge transition um, and and you know a friend of the podcast actually uh, a friend of ours TJ Shembakar uh, is sort of in a unique similar position that I am and when I was visiting with him recently he's now in Singapore on on assignment for uh, for his employer and I asked him this very question uh, you know, what what is he told me all kinds of cool experiences. You should you should have him on the show one day to talk to you about flying in mm-hmm. Africa and what it's like going t- across country borders um, inside the continent of Africa. They make you import and export the aircraft just to do a landing. So interesting wow. story, but nevertheless,
3: wow. he so was glad to talk me, to him. He is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I spent
2: the week I spent the week with him. Uh, it was it was fantastic. But he was telling actually, you know, he was First of all, telling me the the costs that he had incurred in attempting to stay current because he also came to me and asked me the same question. Should I stay current living in Singapore? Should I bother staying current because renting an aircraft is difficult? And this is kind of the same conversation that I've already spoken. Uh, You know, the information I've shared here right now is the same information I shared with him. He's actually a little bit more fortunate whereby he gets to go back to the United States every couple of months Ah, uh, from Singapore, for whether it's uh, visiting family or other obligations there. So he says to me, "You know when I go home every two or three months, I'm going out in an airplane for a couple of hours and i'm I'm getting current. but I can't rent an airplane in many places, so is it worth my time? And I you know my advice was if if it's one of those things you can't use uh, Maybe, you know, maybe you just sort of put it on the shelf right now until you're in a position or location where flying is something that you can do on a regular basis once again. And, and, and you know, coming full circle, that's kind of where I'm at. So I sort of put aviation on the shelf at this point. Um, interesting little segue. When I was in Nepal, they they don't really have a lot of general aviation there. We were hiking. We went uh, We went by one airport. And it's this beautiful, brand-new, long runway at the top of the mountains, and it's right around 11,000 feet in altitude. Gorgeous, new, brand-new runway. The airport looks like something out of a Clint Eastwood movie. It is just completely abandoned, you know, and the fence is all locked up. There's nobody there, no aircraft on the ground, nothing is absolutely happening there. I took a few pictures in front of this airport, and it was kind of depressing. And on the flip side, I took a few pictures because uh, the other factor, that even though the gates were locked, people had built, well, first of all, somebody had driven their vehicle through the fence, so there was a big hole, there was a big gap in the fence, and in other parts of the fence, people had actually put ladders over it to get across and, uh, you know, back and forth. So the flip side of foreign aviation is, I guess they don't uh, have the same feelings about airport <laughs> security as we do. <laughs> but, uh, it, yeah, you know, it's really interesting. It's an interesting being away from it. Uh, and, and as I said, really the only thing I have control of that's, that's, that's simple at this point is just renewing my medical every time it's, it's up and, uh, and doing my CFI renewal.
4: Len, you were just kind of – and, of course, you were just talking about some of the, the atmosphere there at some of the airports. Like you mentioned, the one is pretty much locked up. But even if you're not flying, is there much of a chance to kind of commune with other pilots just hanging around hangar flying, that kind of thing?
2: I didn't really see any. Uh, again, in this one particular instance, the airport was ab- – a, or the I should say the facilities were abandoned, meaning there was nobody there. Uh, and And actually, you know, thinking specifically of this airport – there weren't even any hangars. This was sort of one of those types of airports that it had airline service, um, but because of the location of the of the mountains and uh, the runway, they had, there's a lot of difficulty flying uh, you know um, commercial aircraft in there. So they pretty much stopped uh, stopped doing that. So at that particular place in Nepal, no, I didn't see a sense of community. Uh, I also haven't had an opportunity to really go to any other local, more general aviation airports. But even as a whole, for instance, uh, in Kathmandu, when we were um, disembarking the aircraft, looking around, the only thing you could see there was commercial aircraft. Uh, there really weren't hangars with private aircraft and the likes. So, uh, you know, so far in my experience, it's, it's not quite the same sense of community as back in the united states now that's you know not necessarily true like europe has a very big active uh, hobby pilot population um and so does australia but i'm not i get a feeling that in different parts of asia in this part of the world it's not quite the same
1: so you've been on a lot of airlines then it sounds like i've been
2: on yeah i've been on a couple uh we took um, we took Emirates to uh, from Boston to the UAE. Uh, very fantastic service there. Uh, we also I don't want to say we're sort of pushed in this direction. I made I made a a informed decision as a aviator and as a consumer to purchase tickets and fly on Malaysia Airlines. Um, you know that was. Not something that I was just going to be. Oh, an airplane disappeared. I'm never going to fly on them, uh, etc. So I've flown on Malaysia Airlines. Uh, same very good level of uh, of service and and the likes. Uh, we flew recently on a company called Jetstar, which is an Australian airline. It's one of these no frills. Uh, we advertise the ticket is $50, but uh, a bottle of water is $4, stowing your bag is $20, renting a seatbelt is another $7, so it's a, <laughs> it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot, you know, your $50 ticket turns into a $220 ticket, and you're like, what the heck just happened?
6: Land- landings um, are extra.
2: Yeah, landings are extra, safe landings. So I've got a couple in the future coming. We're going to be flying on Garuda, Indonesia. Uh, And another interesting one um, is Egypt Air. I'm going to be flying on Egypt Air. So it's kind of... They're good. I've
3: done Egypt Air.
2: Yeah, I actually looked them up online as well. And they are, um, as far as I can tell, they they, they keep up with the same standards and the same quality as an American... Uh, Based airline and and have the same sort of credentials or uh, not credentials, but um, accreditations by the FAA. So, so yeah, you know,
3: free booze and the TVs. Well, there's that too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's that too. So, you know, being, being an airline pilot and knowing how the system works in the United States and then being a passenger on a foreign carrier, uh, it's, it's interesting. You wonder, you know, what's, What's the conversation like in the flight deck? What language are they speaking? What's, you know, what's the cultural interaction between the flight crew? Because, you know, there's there's plenty of case studies with uh, pilots in Asia where, you know, sometimes there's this whole cultural thing where the captain is the captain and you never question them. And there have been times where, you know, incidents or accidents have happened because because of this. So, you know, I'm like, not thinking the worst-case scenario by any means, but I'm curious. You know, what is it really like going on, you know, up there in that flight deck? Uh, so yeah, it's 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 been interesting. There's a lot of a uh, lot of cool places we've seen and a lot of cool airports I've been to. But so far, not uh, no general aviation uh, contact whatsoever. But we w- we'll see how that continues to pan out in, in during the travels.
1: What what is it that you think is the most different with the the airlines like in Asia and, and the airlines? In the U.S., what's striking to you is it, is it the service? Uh, y- I
2: think so because I think what you have is and and here's some um, some of those things where you look at what is an airline in the in the United States. Uh, generally, you have like my experience is you have a very large mix of of like when you when you're talking specifically say cabin crew, the flight attendants, you tend to have a mix of very young people and an older generation and it seems that a lot of these foreign carriers like they almost have these very strict criteria for if you're not between say 20 and 40 and this and that so everybody is just very um very fit very good looking dressed very well very polite Uh, it's just kind of a different that kind of atmosphere is very different You know, you don't necessarily feel like you would end up getting in an argument with a flight attendant uh, like you could potentially in the United States. Um, So from that aspect, service is different. Uh, I can tell you that the food seems to be a little bit better on the airplanes. That's an interesting one. Uh, What else? Yeah, those are are a couple. So, you know, I, I can't obviously comment on uh, what's going on in the flight deck, but I have heard on a couple of the flights that we've been on, I have heard a uh, English-speaking person who is uh, n- who is either f- is somewhere from North America. You know, the flight crew, the captain was either, uh, you know, from the U.S. or Canada because they didn't have you know, like a U.K. accent or a, um, uh, you know, Australian or New Zealand accent. So there are there are foreign um or excuse me there are you know like pilots from america flying as uh, flying careers in these foreign carriers
1: well that's pretty interesting that sounds like a an episode for for another podcast so that, that's quite quite interesting um you know have you seen many mission pilots down there i'm assuming there there might be a few in the area
2: not in these particular areas. though. we have again. One of the things is we haven't exactly been to some terribly remote areas at this point. Uh, and in fact, you know, I guess that sort of depends also where you are, or what country you're in. Uh, here in Bali, it's not particularly remote, or um, you know, it's not exactly a struggling type of community. So not here. I uh, Nepal would have been a little bit of a different story meaning they don't have the same sort of infrastructure where roads and vehicles can go. So uh, one place aviation could be beneficial is there. However, on the flip side, you tend to see a lot of locals just walking the trails to deliver goods, whether it be lumber or food or any of those kinds of things. So the most I saw as far as general aviation there in Nepal was the uh, search and rescue helicopter coming up and down the valley all the time. Pulling plucking people off the mountain, but you know that would be a kind of good, you know a good place where missions missions might uh, might be beneficial. But uh, nothing here in Indonesia. Although I'm sure there's other parts of Asia that uh, that we'll see. You know, maybe maybe that is the case.
1: Well, it sounds like you're you're getting some awesome experiences, and hopefully, you know, we'll hear more about them. We're we're kind of running up on on the end of our time, but I do have one. Really burning question. I, I wish I should have asked you offline before asking you now, but do you do you miss it? Do you miss the fly?
2: Do I miss it? Ooh, you had to ask that question in public, didn't <laughs> yeah. you?
1: I'll I'll it's, you don't have to it's it's
2: a no, it's true. It's okay. It's a yes and no question. I I miss flying. I miss uh, you know. I miss being able to get into an airplane and go places that I want to go and uh, see things that I want to see. But to put that in perspective, I, I missed that for a long time being an airline pilot as well, just because I was moving around so much and was never in a never living in one place really long enough to to rent an airplane and of course open airplane just kind of came into the scene as I was uh, leaving the United States so that would have been something beneficial so I miss flying but I don't think honestly I haven't for one moment missed my airline career so uh, that we can definitely talk about on another podcast and I can give you all the reasons why. That's
1: interesting. Um, so yeah, the the freedom of, of being like a bird in an airplane is something mm-hmm. I think we all all miss when we're sitting here on the ground. Uh, but when you're doing it for a living, there's it's a whole different dynamic. So that's that's really interesting. Sorry, I should have prepped you with that question. I, I kind of hit you there no, at the end okay. with that one. Uh,
2: I don't I don't imi- I don't uh, mind admitting it publicly. It's it's the truth, and I don't mind sharing it and, and telling people why.
1: Awesome. Well, Len, gosh, thanks, thanks for sharing all this this information here and um, and coming on. Uh, hopefully, we'll have you on again on the podcast. Amazingly enough, you sound great over yeah. there. it's it's yeah. incredible. That's yeah, this crazy. is
2: probably the f- the first time the internet's been strong enough to do anything besides uh, write an email. It's Guys, just
3: he's lying.
2: <laughs> no, it's it's he's not. I mean, in he's in Victoria's <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, the fastest the internet, internet
2: here. Is... Oh, I'm on it's... the beach and <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. So yeah, first world, first world I'm on world the Eiffel problems. Tower
3: right now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the fastest internet you can get here is about 3G, and that's even broadband wow. in your home. There's wow. it just does it doesn't exist. It's nobody needs it or right. I guess apparently outside. there's not there's not a need for it. So yeah. Doing things online has been a huge struggle.
1: <laughs> wow. Well, gosh, Len, we could talk forever on, on the different things that are going on there. And we'll, we'll definitely have, have you on again and, and would love to hear and see pictures about anything general aviation uh, and anything aviation related. Just just send them along. And, and I really Absolutely. appreciate you coming on today. Um, yeah, thanks
0: for having me. Our picks of the week.
1: Yeah, well, as a matter of fact, uh, we since we do have to wrap up, uh, we're going to move on to our, our picks of the week here, and uh, we'll, uh, I know Eric has to uh, move on fairly quickly today, so we're going to let Eric Crump go first with his pick of the week. So, Eric, what is your pick of the week?
5: I well, know I feel special. I'm going to get <laughs> used to this. Um, so, I uh, actually recently just taught one of the courses in my collegiate aviation program on flight planning and performance, and I taught it online, which was really challenging to try to teach performance and weight and balance and navigation in an online classroom, but it I actually learned a lot from doing it and one of the tools that I found indispensable in doing it and and i, I absolutely love it I use it all the time now is uh is an app uh from uh a company called gyro nemo, and I probably butchered the pronunciation of that gyro nemo yeah, so it's uh dot com and i'll you know the link will be on the on the notes later but um it, uh, it's, it's really great um, apps for, uh, primarily for iPad, but it's, um, it's weight and balance and performance planning done graphically. So as you take the slider and increase the weight for your pilot or your fuel load, the, um, your CG dot is actually moving uh, in real time. So you can see what effect a, a weight shift would have without having to do the calculation for it. And so um, they have the, it's for all kinds of different models of fixed wing and rotor wing aircraft. Um, But, uh, you know, and, you know, the the quick caveat, which the website is very clear about doing in the app is as well, it's based on, you know, standard configuration for a, a, for example, like a 172S model. It takes the, you know, general information. It's not specific to any one airplane, but it does give you a great idea, you know, internalizing, well, if I had this much weight uh, or if I had this much fuel, um, how much can I put in the back seat and still be within the limit? Um, at least, you know, doing that visually so that you're not, uh, you know, spending a whole lot of time doing a bunch of calculations. Um, really awesome app. And the performance charts are really cool too, because as you build whatever weight you have, um, it, it, seamlessly transfers your weight information into the performance tab and it'll actually show you where on the runway your ground roll will stop you know where your actual rotation will occur and then it'll show you where your uh where your point to clear the 50 foot obstacle is Um, it's just really really interesting way to visualize all that and sort of tweak some of the details to see the effects so from a from an operational perspective it's really great to kind of see how the the aircraft is going to perform but if you're an instructor um, what a great tool to help you know, explain this sort of thing to students uh, without having to get the, the old table out. And not that you don't need the table, but it's a great visual way to to explain these concepts. And I think uh, I found that it was a huge help in helping new uh, new students to the concept sort of figure that out um, and internalize it visually. Uh, lots of great videos available on YouTube and from the website also about how the app works. Just uh,
1: It was really awesome. So I, I highly recommend it. So this is kind of like your own personal dispatcher, you know, type of load planner. Is that what it is? You know, like
5: it pretty it can- much, yeah. But just for a one seventy two, <laughs> or for they've got the Cirruses in there, um, the one eighty two, some of the Pipers, the Diamond aircraft are in there, and again, a full suite of uh, of helicopters also.
1: Hmm. Cool. Interesting. Well, thanks for that, Eric. I know you got you have to to buzz on out of here, but uh really appreciate you, you coming today and, and uh as always, some great conversation. I appreciate that. And, and it's a yeah, great pick of the week. Loved it. Uh, I'm definitely going to check that out. Great uh, to get to talk to <coughs> Lynn too. Yes. So. Yes. You guys have fun. Thanks. Thanks. See you. The uh <laughs> And and the next person up is uh actually Victoria has a really cool pick of the week that she's going to It's actually a bit of a surprise. What what is it Victoria you have?
3: My pick of the week is my dog (laughs) and me. Oh, cool. I I don't know. Um, Actually, I can say I will soon be a published author. Awesome. Cool. Yes. My friend and I uh, have created the Turbo the Flying Dog series. It's a children's book, and it's actually, well, it's going to be a series of books, but the first book basically is about Turbo. He's alone at the pound. And he's finally getting adopted. But before he can go home, he has to hop in a little thing called an airplane. And he's never heard of what an airplane is or what an airplane does. And all the dogs at the pound have their different opinions on what an airplane is. And at the end, Turbo gets a little scared. He's not sure about this whole airplane thing. And uh, I'm going to leave it with that. That's your little teaser about the first book, Turbo the Flying Dog. Do you know when,
6: when we can get it?
3: Well, we're... We're prepping for a crowdfunding campaign, so we actually oh, cool. can afford to get this published. So yes. please follow him uh, and promote him whenever you can. You can find him on Facebook.com slash TurboTheFlyingDog. On Instagram, he's turbo the flying Dog, And on Twitter, he's turbo flying Dog without the the. And he's getting a lot of likes. He's getting a lot of enthusiasm. People are really excited. And what's fun about these accounts is that the children that'll be reading the book get to see what the real Turbo, the flying dog, looks like. Even though the books are going to be picture books and cartoons, so they get to interact with Turbo and see his everyday life and that he's really doing these flights that he talks about in the series. So, I'm very excited! And please follow him um, and get as excited as I am. <laughs>
1: That sounds really cool, guys. Yeah. We'll definitely have some links on there about that, and definitely fly, uh, follow the flying dog. As a matter of fact, with the flying dog, I've been flying for or excuse me, following for a while, and uh, I love the updates. I love all the pictures, and sometimes I'm <laughs> I'm sitting there in the cockpit between flights, and all of a sudden I'll I'll see a picture of him in in some interesting po- I, You know what I think? I think he knows how to pose now.
3: Oh, really, he knows what a camera is. Oh,
1: I think so. It's he amazing because he gets the, he gets the expression right. It's like give me, okay, now give me that pouty look. Okay, good. That's it, right, <laughs> right there. We got the shot. Perfect. And and I know you're sitting there doing that. And and he can. It's like he's he's like a person. He really is. It's it's such a neat personality. I think he's
3: got a great personality, and the fact that he took on to flying. And cool. it just has become a part of his life is why I think the books will be really successful.
1: Awesome. Awesome. I'm sure they will yeah. be, and we'll definitely be promoting it here. Um, thanks for that one. Uh, Rick, what is your pick of the week?
3: Yeah. Well, once again,
6: I have a, a fun aviation related uh, game. Um, this is an iOS app as well as a Google app. Clearing my throat there. Uh, it's a, basically it's a, it's a, it's a very elaborate glider lander, but the glider of course in question is the space shuttle. And it's a, Really nicely photorealistic um, final approach uh, of the shuttle to um, uh, Cape Canaveral to you know back to back to the uh, the VAB and, and its headquarters there in, in Florida where, what it used to do and it's very cool the game itself is very short um, and but it's really, it's really challenging. I will tell you, I've flown it 22 times. The categories are perfect landings, good landings, safe landings. I've had no perfect or good landings. I've had three safe landings, um, five hard landings, which I assume are pseudo safe. And then the ones that turn red are crash landings, um, uh, crashes and bailouts. And, um, it's it's fascinating, and there's a lot of variables you can you can adjust in terms of the weather conditions and all that. But it is just this what you get this uh, this really great you know small world little small app uh, sense of how precise that has to be because. Um, you know uh, the the land the, the you know the way the weight distribution on the wheels when you touch down, the way the nose wheel comes down, all that stuff um, has to happen very within some very narrow tolerances. I mean I can get it on the runway, no problem, but um, getting it getting it right and getting it even close to perfect has eluded me. So I would recommend it. it's called fsim uh, fl- uh, Space shuttle simulator. it's uh, the website is f dot com and there's an app, an iOS app, and a Google app, and it's a lot of fun.
1: That sounds like a blast. I, I like the bailout option. I think that's pretty cool.
6: Yeah, I haven't seen anyone yet. You also have multiple camera views, all the standard stuff, and there's replays. And I haven't seen anyone, uh, I haven't seen the bailout happen, but I should probably try to make that happen, do some barrel rolls.
1: <laughs> awesome. That sounds like a blast. i got to check that one out. Uh, and let's see, that's, uh, and we'll have links to that, by the way, on the website at uh, stuckmikeavcast.com slash 77. And Sean Moody, what, what do you have for your pick of the week this week?
4: Mine isn't so much a, a product as it is an organization. They're called uh, Ageless Aviation Dreams, and uh, I just came across them. Um, I saw a, a news report from out west about uh, these people who had gone to an airport, and, and what they focus on is um, veterans who are living in long-term care uh, communities, getting them up in the air in a steerman and kind of... You know, reliving their their days when they flew these these great airplanes, and it looks like they uh, they travel across the country um, in the the coming weeks. It looks like they'll be in Tennessee, Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin. Illinois, and then out west in Washington and Oregon again. Um, and it's just a really, really neat organization. I guess kind of, sort of similar to Honor Flight in trying to give back to veterans and that kind of thing. Um, but their uh, their website is AgelessAviationDreams.org. You can find out more. They've got a Twitter account, Facebook account, and then you can also see all those uh, those dates and locations where they'll be coming up. And um, just really organization. I've always got a soft spot for veterans, so go check that one out.
1: Awesome. I uh, definitely that that's something I definitely want to check out. That's great, Sean. Thanks. Thanks for that pick of the week. And uh Len, our guest today, and uh it, w- you have one for us also, don't you?
2: I do actually. You know, there's uh it being the the week of Air Venture and and the such there's a lot of product announcements coming out and preparing for the show today, I went out to do a search to see what kind of new and interesting things were out there. One of them caught my eye. And it is the fact that uh, Dynon uh, Avionics has added a the ability to pipe video into the glass cockpit display. And the reason it caught my eye is I'm thinking to myself, why do I care about video on the glass display in my cockpit? So I'm reading this article, and it turns out there were some compelling reasons why it might be important. For instance, tailwheel aircraft, who taxi in a nose-high attitude, uh, could have a little bit. Uh, could have better forward visibility with a camera mounted on the nose. Also, for instance, uh, glider pilots. Uh, excuse me, tow pilots could have a camera mounted on the tail of the aircraft, and so you have a better idea of what's going on with uh, with the glider behind them and and the likes. And and of course, there's a lot of different various reasons law enforcement would would want these. Uh, but they, you know, they tend to have their own. Uh, specialized type of equipment but again from a general aviation perspective my first thought was why would I ever need that and uh, you know again there there are some compelling reasons so uh Dynon avionics and uh video to the cockpit uh, an, an cool. interesting addition to your situational awareness and uh safety
1: Wow, that's awesome! Thanks, Len. That, that's a cool, cool one. Well, uh, oh, the last one—I I forgot about me. I—I uh, I have a pick of the week also. Um, my pick of the week is actually Bahamas Habitat. Uh, as you know, I've been doing a lot of flying over the Bahamas lately, and this is a great organization, BahamasHabitat.org. Habitat dot org. And what they do—they're a service organization uh, with all these volunteer pilots and people that uh, volunteer the use of their airplane. And they actually will fly and do outreach flights to the Bahamas, but they also do flights to Haiti and also to Mexico now, so they've kind of branched out. Uh, so you can actually uh, see them at bahamashabitat.org. Uh, it, you know, it's interesting when I look at their website, they're doing a lot of good. Like there's a lot of Haiti, Haitian refugees over in the Bahamas, and um, they have some shelters there, and I, I recently one actually burnt down, so they're helping rebuild that right now by transporting supplies from the U.S. over to the Bahamas. Uh, what's really really neat about this is the pictures that you get to see, and they they look like they're having a blast. I mean, you know, the, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, gee, Bahamas, and and uh, you know, why would I go do some help over there, or why do they need help? Because it's such a rich nation. Uh, but you know, you don't realize there are so many refugees there, and it's also so tough to get uh, things in there for the for the population there in the Bahamas. And uh, by an airplane, you can bring all sorts of stuff over there, and it's uh, it's like having your own little station wagon. And I tell you what, those people. People are so happy when the plane comes in and lands and brings uh brings supplies and, and like i said the most recent one is in the uh, treasure key community which is not far from where i used to live and uh, they had uh, a fire there at one of their facilities for some of these uh some of the haitian refugees so if you get a chance check out bahamashabitat.org and uh, that's my pick of the week
0: the after landing checklist
1: well, gosh, that that brings this whole uh, episode to an end. It's been a real special one with Len Costa, who. Uh, you know, Len, you, you sound like you're you're right around the corner. It's been been really <laughs> awesome. Uh, actually, nice. it, it, you
2: got <laughs> you got lucky. You you fed that you the internet <laughs> gods here in Bali were happy today and allowed me to be here. <laughs> nice.
1: Well, well, from you know, th- this has been great having you here, and, and you know, from myself, uh, and I'm going to try out my my limited Indonesian. Uh, is uh, Salamant Paji, uh, I think that's how you say it. Uh, did I do that right, Len? I hope I said close. Uh,
2: salamat pagi. Pagi. Salamat pagi. That's good morning. Yes, yes. good so, morning. Because uh, uh, that's... that's
1: where you are in the morning. Mm-hmm. Thank and, you. And so salamat pagi. Uh, thanks for correcting me there, and uh, <laughs> and I re- <laughs> I appreciate everybody listening over in Indonesian. You know, hopefully uh, the, you'll you'll spread the word about Stuck by Gavcast. Not sure how many listeners we have there, but but Len's going to get the word out for us. <laughs> 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 well, for myself and and Eric Crump and and Rick Felty, and Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, and, of course, uh, Len Costa. We really appreciate you listening today to Stuck Mike Avcast, Episode 77. Don't forget to visit our sponsors, aviationuniverse.us, and also the other folks that are on the website. Just go out there and click and, and and you know, visit them. That helps us out, helps pay for this, and helps us bring the content to you. Uh, also, don't forget, sign up for um, for our VIP list, and you'll get some updates as to what we're doing and where we're going and some some special Little bonuses that you don't get as, a, as just a regular listener, but but uh, we do appreciate you. And uh, from myself, Carl Valeri, again, salamat pagi, and have a great day. Good morning. And we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying.
0: You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast.